Why are we afraid to share our faith? Be honest. The very thought of telling someone what we believe, what being Christian means in our lives, just the thought makes most of us shake. We say it's not polite. We are Canadians, after all. We don't do that. We're Presbyterians. We certainly don't do that. So we make jokes about uh, handing out papers in the streets like Jehovah's Witnesses or going door to door like the Mormons. We think we'll be embarrassed. We're afraid of rejection. But most of all, we're afraid we won't know what to say. Maybe we're brave enough to invite someone to church some Sunday, but we offload them on the minister at the first available opportunity, right? Surely there's some way, there must be something, someone to help us overcome our fear. Our gospel reading takes us back to the upper room and Jesus' long goodbye to his friends. He says over and over again what will happen, and after that, and after that, and no doubt they're scared. Again, he says, their love for one another will identify them as his friends. And he says they can trust him because he gets his words from the source and his connection is secure. Then he says when he's gone, another being with great power will come to them. And in Greek, this, this being's name is paraclete. Now, Jesus says it's a name for the Holy Spirit, but paraclete is a word that tells them what the Holy Spirit will do. So this is the comforter of the King James Version of this story and of the motet we just heard the choir share with us. And when the King James was translated and when Thomas Tallis wrote, comforter meant a whole lot more than it means to us today. I mean, think of it, the root of comfort is fort, which means strength, power. So to be comforted years ago meant being reminded you're safe, you don't need to worry, and you can be strong. In the NRSV today, we heard advocate, and paraclete literally is one who is called in the one we turn to when we need help. The great old Scottish New Testament scholar William Barclay had a lot to say about the paraclete. And Barclay says in classical Greek, a paraclete is both an encourager who inspires courage for the struggle ahead and a helper in court, a combination defense lawyer and character witness. Someone who stands beside the accused all the way through. Now, Barclay's gift was and continues to be, as we continue to read him, to, get, to give us pages of scholarship, but then to sum it all up in a couple of sentences to tell us what it means for us. And so he says, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, is the one who makes us able to cope with life, especially when we know we can't cope on our own. Do you think there might be an answer here to our fear of speaking to others? 
of sharing our faith. In our story from Acts, the setup, the previous story, has Paul and his mission team stranded in Troas, in what's now northwest Turkey. You may have heard of Troas, but called Troy in some ancient story or other. They want to go east. They want to go to Asia. But Asia is a no-go. Well, okay, let's not try to go that far. How about the province of Bithynia? No way. Now, maybe it's the weather, and maybe, maybe there's trouble arranging transportation, or maybe Paul or Silas have premonitions. Something or someone holds them back. The storyteller says it's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is, after all, a star player in the book of Acts. Then Paul has a nighttime visitor, a, a man he can see as clear and plain as day. And the man says, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so they head west across the Aegean Sea and then overland to Philippi, which is a very important city. So it makes sense to start there. Now Paul has to look for a synagogue because part of the deal he made with the mother church in Jerusalem was that he could preach to the Gentiles, but he had to go to his own people, their own people, first. But it seems there's no synagogue in Philippi. So when there is no synagogue, often Jewish believers gather in an open place outdoors to pray. And so they go down by the river outside the city walls and they find, well, it's not like a synagogue that Paul's ever seen. It's an all-female congregation. And Paul and his company just sit down on the grass and start talking. It sounds more like a conversation than a sermon. We only learn one name from that group or someone who was overhearing that group pray, and that's Lydia, a Gentile who worships Israel's God. And she is especially interested in what Paul has to say. Now, why? Why is she eagerly listening? Maybe she's just an open, receptive person by nature. Maybe she's lonely. Philippi isn't her hometown. She has a house there, but she goes to Philippi for her business. The storyteller says, it's the Holy Spirit, the Lord Jesus, present and working in Lydia's heart and preparing her to hear and believe. And Lydia and everyone in her house, down to the youngest slave it would have been, get baptized. And Paul and his friends move into their home, which is a Book of Acts way of saying the first church of Philippi was founded in Lydia's house. Now isn't it a stroke of luck? Paul just happens to meet a wealthy woman. You need a big bankroll to get into the purple cloth business, but the returns are fantastic. Paul has a knack for finding just the right person to support his ministry and to start new churches. Paul has a lot of good luck. Or could it be the Holy Spirit? 
Do you think there might be an answer here to our fear of speaking to others and sharing what we believe? For Jesus' first disciples, for Paul and his companions in the first generation of the church, for them and for us, the call is to share the good news of Jesus, crucified and risen and alive. It's not our job to make sure there's a positive response or any response. That's God's work. That's the paraclete's responsibility. We plant seeds, and that's enough. St. Francis of Assisi is supposed to have said, preach the gospel, use words if necessary. And sometimes students would use those words as a reason for not really working very hard on their sermons. So I wish Francis hadn't said it if he really did, but it is absolutely essential to our lives as Christians that we do good works, offer hospitality and help to others, because we are motivated by the Spirit to do it and to let our actions speak for us and our church. But put a, a Presbyterian and a Rotarian side by side on the, the food line at a mission, one serving soup and one serving bread. Can anyone there tell the difference? The Rotarian is probably wearing a pin or a t-shirt with a rotary symbol. He's also more likely to give a generous donation before he leaves. A Sikh man, a hijabi Muslim woman, Hasidic Jewish school kids, they can't hide their faith. We can, and we do. Our witness isn't anything we wear that identifies us. Yeah, we could wear a cross, but anyone can wear a cross. Our witness isn't just our good deeds. It can't be. Our public witness is our words. So we're back where we started to our biggest fear. We see someone we really want to offer a word of hope, but we don't know what to say. We probably don't have the words, the vocabulary, to offer a theologically appropriate witness that the minister would approve of. So we get hung up on the vocabulary. So we forget three things. We have our own stories, we have ourselves, and we have the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, with us. And God isn't just with us, God is active and at work. We can and do tell our own stories all the time. We talk about how we had a sudden inspiration, a feeling, a gut feeling that led us to change direction and it turned out to be the right direction. Where do you suppose that inspiration comes from? We can talk about stories of how our hope was renewed or we found courage when we didn't think we could or we found acceptance when we thought there was none or we found comfort in every sense of that word but we forget to put God in those stories. 
If someone is drawn to us at a painful time because they feel we'll understand, we can say, yeah, I've been there and I got through it. Do we forget that we never walk through the valley of the shadow alone? We count our blessings. Do we remember the blesser? So imagine a neighbor asks you, why, when everyone else in the neighborhood, and probably everyone else in your family, sleeps in on Sunday morning, you still get up and go to church? What would you say? Could you tell why you go to church, and the positive difference it makes in your life, and say it with joy? The Holy Spirit moved that neighbor towards you. So why not take a risk and plant a seed? You may never live to see grow into anything, but it doesn't matter. You'll have done all that's yours to do. I read last week a little story about a, a high school student who was at his locker, and the boy at the locker next to him, to his, said, I need to tell you about Jesus. When can we meet so I can do that? I don't know what happened after that, and I have to appreciate the boy's courage because he knew he had something so good he needed to share it. But the stories in Acts and many of the stories of Jesus tell us we can't schedule the Holy Spirit's activity. We can't predict when there will be readiness to hear. Opportunities to share our faith are situational. They come to us in life. We don't create them. And yet somehow, there are moments when we could share the grace that we know. Last Wednesday at Portland Place, after the annual meeting, Judy, uh, who, if you, you come to the summer barbecue and the service afterwards, you'll know Judy is the one who always offers the prayers of the people and does a beautiful job. As I was getting up to leave the room, in a kind of, oh, by the way, way, Judy said, I was praying for you last week. I don't know why, but I was. And then she just walked away, as if she'd simply said, hi, how are you? And you know, like we do, hi, how are you? And we walk away. And boy, last week before last, boy, did I need prayer. Not just because of what was happening with my body and with my knees and with medication, but also the, the things that I had on my, on my plate at the time and on my heart. I needed prayer. And she could not have known my need. Was it a coincidence? Or could it be the paraclete, the Holy Spirit? Jesus says, go and make disciples not go and make church members, pew sitters, envelope holders. Jesus says, go and make disciples. And the churches that grow and experience growth that sticks are the churches that are devoted to sharing the faith and making disciples. Some of whom may come and become pew sitters, church members, they might even take out envelopes. But the result isn't for us to guarantee. 
we plant the seeds. Jesus doesn't tell us to go out and find more Presbyterians and bring them into the church either. And he doesn't tell us to go and find more people just like us. He simply promises us all the help we could ever need to fulfill his mission and to make that mission our own. Amen. Glory to God.